available to you. Uh, what we're actually talking about is actual healing, actual physical healings that take place. Um, we did uh, the, the, the Torah, the first five books of Moses, or the first five books, or, or some people call it the Pentateuch, and now we're getting into the history books um, of um, Ruth. the history books and healings that take place in the history books. Uh, so tonight we're going to look at a healing in the book of Ruth. And really, we don't see the full, we, don't, we really don't see the healing until chapter 4. The book of Ruth only has four chapters, so we don't really see this until the fourth chapter. But if you don't know what's going on in the book of Ruth, you'll actually just miss it. Um, so, you know, we try to usually at least hit two, maybe three healings per service. But I think to really fully understand this healing, I think we need to just pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, um, and let's just kind of read and talk about this. And uh, because... It's really a small book anyway. Yeah, it's a small book. Um, but like I said, you can, you can kind of just glaze right over this healing if, you're not paying, if, you're not, if you don't know what's happening, if you don't know the history. So we're going to pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, um, and we're going to kind of draw a couple of little lines here and there, but for the most part, it's going to be a pretty straight read. Well, we can skip over the middle parts. Well, yeah. let's just, we're just going to read it. All right. It's just we'll easier it just to follow it straight through. Right. So, chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So let me explain what the Moabs are. Uh, are and the Moabites? Let me explain who the Moabs are. Let me explain the time of the judges. So God's plan was that his people uh, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament God's plan is that the only king, the only ruler, the only president, the only person that has rule over his people is God himself, is God himself. However, as um, the Israelite nation was established, as they were in slavery in Egypt, as they came out of Egypt and they went across the promised land and they kept coming across all of these people, they kept running into people that were ruled either by kings or by judges or something along those lines. And they got to whining and crying to God and said, God, uh, these other nations want a king. Why are we different? Why can't we have a king too? This is not any different than from today. People cry the same thing today. Why can't I have, well, the worldly people have this. Why can't I have it? Because what they have actually brings them into bondage. But God is a faithful God, and God says, if that's really what you want, I'm going to let you have it. So what happened was um, God allowed them to um, first have uh, judges over them. And then they said, no, 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 the judges aren't enough. We want kings. So then God later allowed them to have kings that ruled over them. And in the time of judges... They got taken into slavery. In the time of kings, they got taken into slavery. Um, 
And so in this situation, uh, this lets us know when Ruth was a living, and it says it came to the pass in the days of the judges. So this was the this was one of the generations that that came out of the rule out of God being the head and judges being the head. And um, so that's what this is talking about. This gives us a time frame for their for the history of Ruth. Now the Moabites. Let's talk about the Moabites for a minute. Uh, so you remember. And Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that Lot came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, his, the angels of God said, don't turn back, don't look back. Lot's wife turned back. She looked back to her past. That's a type and shadow of us holding on to our past and staying in bondage today. Uh, you know, when she looked back and tried to hold on to what was behind her, you know, family, friends, lifestyle, things like that, when she tried to hold on to that, uh, it ended up costing her her life. When we as Christians and we come out of the world, when we try to hold on to our mindset of the world, it takes us right back into bondage. So Lot came out, and Lot came out with two of his daughters. Uh, and his sons got left behind. His wife got turned into a pillar of salt. So Lot comes out. All he has is his two daughters. Uh, and his two daughters, in in the writing of the scriptures, um, it says that his daughters were still virgins. Remember, he tried to give them to the man because the men wanted to uh, rape the angels of God, the men of God. And he said, no, 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 don't take the angels. Take my daughters for their virgins. He was like trying to make that a selling point for them. And they said, no, no, no. So he's got these two daughters we know that they're virgins, um, but we know that they're steeped in sexual sin. So they come out of Sodom. They come out of Gomorrah. Lot, the two daughters, know that everything about their life has been destroyed. The two Lot and the two daughters, they go into a cave nearby, and the two daughters get Lot drunk, and then they lay with, his, they lay with their father, and they end up pregnant. They, they end up pregnant. And one of the daughters names their son Moab. Moab. And the descendants of Moab is where you get the Moabites. So Moab, so the Moabites were, were really, they were, they were birthed out of sin. They were conceived in sin. They were birthed out of sin. And they went right back in to pagan worship. They went right back in to serving these other gods. This is who the Moabites are. Uh, and so this is this plays an important um, role because the Moabites do not have a part in the covenant of the Jews, even though Lot was uh, the nephew of Abraham. They're not part of the covenant. The descendants of Moab are not part of the covenant. They're outside of it. Um, so this is really important at this time. At this. Were. At this time, this is really important. Uh, so that's who the Moabs are. All right. So, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and he and his wife and his two sons. So, so here, um, this man, he takes his wife, he takes his two sons, and they go on a journey 
to, to Moab. Well, why would they go into a land of pagans? Because the whole point of Abraham, the whole point is that God was saying, I'm going to take you out of a land, and I'm going to put you into a land that's not yours, but I'm going to establish you in that land. We as Christians, we don't belong to the earth. We're sojourning on the earth. Our home is heaven. Our home is heaven. We are, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become citizens of heaven. We get paper. We get citizenship uh, of heaven through the blood of Christ. When we get to the gates of heaven, they're going to go, uh, how do you get to enter? And you're going to say, by the blood of the Lamb. And they're going to check the book of the blood of the Lamb or the life of the Lamb, and they're going to go, yep, 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 that's it. I mean, that's not, I'm drawing you a picture. That's not really how it's going to go. When you leave your physical body, God already knows if you're part in that book or not. But but I'm just trying to draw you a, a, a picture that you can see this as. So we're citizens of heaven, and so this is a type and shadow of how we live today. So the reason that uh, this man who is part of the Jewish nation, is in a pagan war, in a pagan nation, is because we belong to God, but we live in a pagan world. It's a type and shadow of us today. All right, let's keep going. All right. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and... Chilon, Chilon, is Ch that what we said? Uh, yeah, I think it was Chilon or Chilon. Anyways, uh, Ephorites of Bethlehem, Judah. And so they were part of the, when it says Ephorites, then that's the part, that's the tribe that they came out of. They came out of the tribe of Ephraim. I believe it's Ephraim. Um, but, but they belong to Bethlehem, Ju Bethlehem, Judah. In other words, these are, they're letting us know that, uh, this man, uh, Elimech, and, Noah, and Noah, Naomi, and her two sons are Jews. They are of the covenant of God. They belong to God. Now, Naomi is very important in this healing. So, pay, so we need to pay a lot of attention to Naomi. All right. And they come into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Ophrah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. All right. So, so Naomi has two sons. Her husband dies. The two sons are single. But then the two sons get married. The two sons marry Moabite women. So the two Jewish men marry women that are not part of the covenant. Now, according to Jewish law, according to the law of Moses, if someone comes, you can become part of the Jewish uh, covenant or the Israelite covenant if you will become part of that house and you will surrender to their God. If you will make the Israelite God your God, if you will... If you will abide by the Israelite law, the Jewish law, if you, will, if you will make their God your God, then you become, by marriage or by family association, 
you become an Israelite. You become a person of the covenant. We come into the covenant because we come by the blood of Jesus. We marry, so to speak, into the family, uh, into the Jewish family through the marriage supper of Jesus. By receiving Jesus as our God, we, we get to come in to the Israelite covenant. So here, these two women, Ophra, or, or Orpha, I think it's actually Orpha, Orpha and Ruth uh, are the daughter-in-laws of Naomi, um, but they're Moab. So Naomi has covenant. Uh, Orpha and Ruth do not have covenant, but because they're connected to Naomi, to Naomi, if they'll stay part of Naomi's house, they get to be in part. They get to be in covenant. So therefore, they get covenant rights. Now it tells us that these two women uh, were married to Naomi's sons for ten years. Now. According to uh, uh, Old Testament um, life uh, or uh, Old Testament living, you could say, uh, one of the first things that's, you know, one of the things that marks you as being a wealthy woman or a wealthy man or the hand of God being upon you is, is you having children. You know, we get people get married today. They might be married five or ten years. They say, "No, we're going to wait for children." At this time, uh, they, they were very uh, well aware of the obligation to have children. And uh, there was no such thing as birth control. Right. Either. There was no such thing as birth control. Um, there was, you know, and 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 the reason for that largely was um, not to be rude or anything, but they had to work the land. And they had to work the farms. And so the more children you had, the better functioning your household was. Because the children were raised from a very young age to work the farm, to work the household. Um, and so it was considered a disgrace or a dishonor uh, if you didn't have children. So for Naomi to have uh, two sons and for her, for her two sons to be married... And for there to be no grandchildren, this was a dishonored home. Uh, and and so for them to be married for ten years and have and there and there be no children, then it was then um, basically uh, everybody assumed or it was known that uh, the woman was barren, that the woman was incapable of bearing children. Um, so right here we see. That Orpha and Ruth are both childless. For they, they're married. There's no reason for them not to have children. But they're married for ten years and they have no children. So the indication is is that these women are barren and that there's some type of sickness within them somewhere. Uh, is the indication here? And now both of the men die. Both men die. We haven't read that yet. But no, we did. No. <laughs> We're still in verse 4. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let's read verse 5, and we'll find out that they both die. I'm so sorry. I ruined the story. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Let's read verse 5 and fix that. All right. <clears throat> and Malon and Chileon died both of them, or died also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. So basically, she, here she is. She's living in Moab. Uh, uh, Naomi is living in Moab. She's got these two girls that are her daughter-in-laws that she's responsible for. Um, and she's not from this country. She's outside of this country. Uh, she doesn't have her husband anymore. She doesn't have her sons anymore. And now she's starting to hear that the judgment of God is starting to fall in the Moabs. So she's going, you know what? This is a good time to get out. This is a good time to go back home. Um, and, and when I say that is because it says, notice it says in verse 6, it says, Then she arose uh, with her daughter, with her daughters-in-law, and um, that she might return from the country of Moab. In other words, she's leaving the country of Moab, and here's why. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited the people in giving them bread. In other words, uh, he was not giving them a, a plenteous, their crops were well, not plenteous. In verse 1, it says there was a famine. Right. In verse 1, it says... Yes, in, in, in back in Judea, which is why they left there. Which is why they left there. Uh, but she heard... But now there's bread. Oh, yeah. I, mis I totally misread that. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yes, there we go. Sorry. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people, mm. his people with bread. That's the key word. I'm sorry, I misspoke. You are <laughs> correct. My bad. I misspoke. Notice it says his people. Who are God's people? The Israelites. The Israelites. So the, yes, the there Jews. had been a famine with the Israelites, but now there was bread. Now we know in the scriptures that, that, that over in the book of Psalms, it says that I've never heard the righteous forsaken or begging for bread, which means obviously the Israelites started to get their act together. So they started to get their act together, and so she can either stay in the land of strangers, and maybe she'll make it, maybe she won't, or maybe she can go back to her homeland and allow God to take care of her. Again, this is a type and shadow of Christians coming out of the world and going back under the hand of God and being taken care of by God. Plus, back in, back in their homeland, she actually had lands that were... That were Hers by law. Right. Well, and we'll read that here in a little while. Spoiler alert. Right. <clears throat> so wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her, of her husband. Then she kissed them, and, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So Naomi is giving, so Naomi is, uh, basically she pronounced a blessing over both her two daughter-in-laws and said, You know what? You're no longer obligated to me. You're no longer obligated to take care of me. Go back home. I send you with the blessings of God. I send you with the care of God. And I release you from your obligations of taking care of me. Uh, 
and, and I do this because uh, because you've dealt with me. I mean, you've dealt with you dealt with the death of your husbands well. You dealt with the death of your father-in-law well. You've you've taken good care of me as a widow, but you but I'm releasing you of your obligation. She was blessing them and sending them on their way. And each of them had the had their houses that they lived in with their husbands that they could return to. Yeah. Which they which she mentions there. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So they wanted to go with her. Must have been a good mother-in-law. Right. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet many more son or any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight... And should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Because her husband and her, and her sons have all died. So, Okay, so let me explain what she's talking about here, about her, about Naomi having more sons and then staying and waiting and all that and everything. Old Testament, this is Old Testament, this does not apply to us today, this law is put away from, this does not apply to us today, does not. However, under this time period, under this rule, under how God had the nation working at this time, the law was such, if Michael and I are married, and Michael dies, then his brother had an obligation to take me as his wife. We don't do that today. Thank you very much. A family obligation. Of course, they also took more than one wife back then, too. Because the earth was being replenished and things like that. Um, if I was married to Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike dies, and, his, and I become the wife of his brother, and his brother dies... If there's any more brothers, then I become the wife. Of, then they have the opportunity to make me their wife. If there's no brothers, in this case there's not, then it moves to the cousins, the first cousins, and so on and so forth. And this was this. And here's why this was the rule in their day. The reason for this is because the culture was very male dependent. And if there was not a man in, the head, in that position of head of house, if there was not a man to guard the house, to protect the house, these were very aggressive days culturally. These were days where the women needed to stay home and take care of the house, and the men needed to go out and hunt. The men would go off to war, things like that. This was a, this was a law that was in place at this time to help provide provision for the women. Uh, that law is no longer necessary or needful in our culture today. So that doesn't apply. Uh, in this situation, the father had died. Both sons had died. Uh, they were in a foreign land. There were no cousins. There were no extra kinsmen. Uh, there were no, like, uncles or anything like that. There were no other men in the family around to fulfill that law obligation. And because Naomi knew that there was no men to fulfill this law obligation, she knew that her daughters were in a dangerous situation not having 
a husband. So by releasing her, releasing them from the Israelite law, from the, from that, uh, and allowing them to go back to the Moabites, it was actually an act of compassion to help provide for her daughter-in-laws. And this is also why she asked the Lord to bless them and deal kindly with them as yes. they return to their husband's house without a husband. Yes. So this is why, so this was a cultural thing. Uh, this is not, you know, oh, God wants us to, you know, go from family member to family member. That's not what this is. This was a cultural event that we no longer follow today. All right. So verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And, it, and, it, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back into her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. So Orpha goes back to the Moabs. She, she said goodbye to, to Naomi. She goes back uh, to the Moabs. She goes back to serving the pagan gods. She goes back into that life. However, Ruth, on the other hand, said, mm -mm, I'm staying with you. Check out what, what Ruth says in verse 16. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. In other words, don't ask me to leave. Yeah, allow me to stay. Or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught, but death part thee and me. So here, Ruth is committing to Naomi. To, you know, she's speaking to Naomi, but really what she's doing is she's entering covenant with the Israelite God. She's saying, uh-uh, your God is my God. Where you go, I go. Whatever, you, whatever your God says do, that's what we're going to do. She submitted to the, to the house of Israel. And by submitting to the house of Israel, even though she was a Moabite woman, by submitting to, to God, by submitting to the covenant of God, she actually opened herself up to reap the benefits of an Israelite. Okay, verse 18. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So she, she quit talking to her. So they, they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? They were thrilled to have Naomi home. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Which Mara means desolate. Isn't that what we said it meant was desolate? Bitter. Bitter. That was bitter. It. bitter. And the reason that they, she said, Call me bitter which she explains in a minute, is because she came home with nothing. She didn't come home with husbands. She didn't come home with sons. Uh, um, the only thing that she had to her, the only thing that she had to her account was a Moabite daughter-in-law. That's the only thing she had to her account. And she said, Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, 
which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Um, so Naomi says things like, seeing that the Lord has um, testified against me, the Almighty has afflicted me. These are true sayings. This is truly what Naomi said. However, the statement in and of itself is a false statement. You have to understand that at this time, they did not have the understanding of God that we have today. Their understanding, because of the, uh, because of the pagan gods, because of their relationship with the pagan gods, a pagan god will be good to you and bless you and strike you dead with the, in the same moment. I mean, that's just the way the pagan gods work. Because they're Satan. That's, what, that's, that's devils and demons. One minute they're going to bless you and they're going to build you up. And then you're going to blink twice and they're going to be offended. And they're going to shoot you down with a, with a thing of lightning. So their understanding, Old Testament understanding, was no matter what happens, good or bad, the God that you serve is the God that brought you good and the God that brought you bad. And if the God brought you bad, it was because they believed, this is not true, but this is what they believed, they believed if bad things fell upon you, that your God brought it upon you because he was angry with you in some way. Now, we know the character of God. We have a progressive revelation of God. We now know that God the Father is good, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. We know that if with test or trial or famine something comes our way, that God's going to bring us through. He's going to make sure that there's a supply. He's going to make sure that, we, that he puts us over. He's going to make sure that we're taken care of. It doesn't mean that we're not going to come under pressure, but it means that we're going to come through on the other side. And then we understand that Satan, the thief, the adversary, the devil, he comes for three purposes, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, sometimes he comes to still kill and destroy because we open the door to sin. And then there's other times that he comes to still kill and destroy because sometimes that somebody we're hanging out with opened the door to sin. And sometimes he comes to still kill and destroy just to see if you will leave the fellowship of your God, just to try to get you to reject God. So they didn't understand this at that time. We understand this now. This is why we have to look at the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Because if you read this just in the light of the Old Testament, you'll say, see, God's good, God's bad, he contradicts himself. You can't believe anything that he says. No, you have to look, under, look at it with the light of the New Testament. So did Naomi actually say that God afflicted her? Yes, that is a true statement. Is it true that God is the one that killed her husband and her son-in-laws? No. No, it's not. It's not. But that's the way she felt. That's the way she saw the situation. And so that's what she said. Okay, so now Naomi and Ruth are back um, there in um, Bethlehem. They're back there um, in and amongst the, the Jews. Um, and now... The Jews, her kinsmen, her family, begin to find out the state of Naomi and Ruth. And so let's read here. All right. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. Which means a relative. A mighty man of wealth. 
of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Boaz is a very wealthy man, and he's kin to or family to um, Naomi. Naomi. Or her husband. Or Naomi's husband. So as a kinsman, it, depending on where he falls in the family line, he would have an obligation to either take Naomi or Ruth as a wife and become the man of the household if he falls in the right line. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him whose sight I shall find in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her and she happened to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. So you have to understand, they have all these fields, they're growing the wheat, the reapers go out, they reap the wheat. It was customary for the reapers to leave food behind. The reapers would purposely leave food behind for the widows and for the desolate. That's who he would, that's, they, they would do that. That was one way they took care of it. But the widows or their children or the desolate would have to go out into the fields and they would have to pick the leftover wheat off of the st still standing stalks or, e or the wheat kernels off of the ground. And Naomi, being an elderly woman uh, who was not in probably the best shape to go out and collect the leftover wheat bits, Ruth said, Naomi, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. She was honoring her mother-in-law. She was showing honor. This Moabite woman was giving honor to her Israelite mother. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? Talking about Ruth. And the servant was set over the reapers, or that was set over the reapers, set, uh, answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. Because here's the deal. If it was just a Moabite woman, the reaper should have sent her off. Because those things are left by the Israelite weeper, reapers for the Israelites. Yeah. So if he just said, oh, that's a Moabite woman, they, they would have had the right, Boaz would have had the right to say, that's not saved for the Moabites. That's not saved for the sinners. That's saved for the, for the Israelites. And there is he some indication had. that the Moabites looked different than the Dressed Israelites. Dressed and changed. Yeah. You know, they come from a different culture. And she said, I pray you, um, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eye be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art uh, athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. 
and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So basically Boaz said, You know what? He said, You have permission to be here. Because she was scared. She was scared that she wasn't supposed to be there. She doesn't know how the she you know like she, I mean she could have been chased off. She could have been doing something illegal. And Boaz said, "No, no, you're fine. You come to this field every day. We're gonna we're we're okay with you being here." And he said, "And, and I'll tell the young men not to mess with you, yep. and that you can drink the water when you get thirsty, and and just stay with stay with my women, and you'll be safe." And here's why she got the favor. She got the favor because in verse seven. Um, it says, and she said, I pray uh, you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and have continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little while in the house. In other words, she was working hard. She showed herself to be a faithful worker. And she, she asked permission. And she, she didn't asked just permission. Show up. She didn't just do. She didn't, you know, when he said, uh, what's going on? You know, she's. She is showing reverence. She is showing respect. She is showing godly character. And her goal is to take care of her Israelite mother-in-law. That is her goal. So verse, and he, and he, and he respect, Boaz respects this. And verse 11, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work. The Lord's going to pay you back for all of your work. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. So just like Boaz knew everything that Ruth had done, the Lord God pays attention to everything we do. And 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 the and Boaz said, I see how you're taking care of your family, taking care of my people. I see how you're committed. I see I see your works basically is what Boaz was saying and I'm and we're and you're going to get recompensed. In other words, you're going to be taken care of or re, that word recompense actually means revenged. In other words, he's saying because you've committed to me, God is going to commit to you. It basically, Boaz was confirming that she had covenant rights is really what he was doing. Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn. He gave her food. And she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. So she didn't, she didn't hang around. She didn't try to get something that didn't belong to her. She went in. She got a meal. She ate. She left. She's being very respectful. She's being very reverent. And when she was risen up to glean, so she, she ate and then went back to work. Yeah. Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. So now she's not having to pick up off the ground. Now she's getting to go directly to the wheat and gather the wheat directly from what she needs. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that she had gleaned. So she beat the, the grain into wheat. Yeah. And it was about an ephah of barley. So this is a hard-working woman to earn her place in the Israelite family. You know, we've, we talked about this morning, when you become a Christian, it means work. This woman was working to be an Israelite. She was working. And an ephah was enough to feed a family. Yeah. A small family yeah. for one day. Yep. So she worked all day in order to make enough to feed to, to feed, feed, to her, feed her, and her and and Naomi for one day. Yep. And she did this day after day after day. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother in law sat or saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had uh that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother in law said unto her, where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her, Daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to, to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, This man is near kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. So notice Naomi said, um, she, he said, blessed, uh, blessed he of the Lord who hath not left um, off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Naomi had such a, I mean, she basically counted herself as the dead. She counted herself as the dead. She was not. She was elderly. She had no husband. She had no sons. She was not able to go out and tend to the fields and to gather and things like that. I'm quite so, sure she saw herself as having no purpose. Yeah, she saw herself as basically she's just she's just waiting to die. And yet this man Boaz and she said, "Oh Lord," she said, "Boaz, look at what Naomi and Naomi said to her. This man near of kin to us." In other words, she said, Boaz is family, but he's distant family. He's distant family. So she sees that she sees that Ruth has gotten uh, favor with Boaz, but but Boaz is distant family. Well, it says he's one of our next kinsmen. Meaning right. He's close, not distant. Well, he's he's close. When it says next kinsman, in other words, Boaz is not the one directly in line next. He's not the next one. He's not, it's not, well, her husband died, so Boaz is the next one to take it. And we're going to see this because Boaz actually goes and, and gets permission from other people here in a few minutes. Yeah. So he is in the line, but there's people in line before him. Yeah, it doesn't say he is the next kinsman. He says he's one of He's one of the next ones. In other words, he's in the line, but he's not the very first one in line. And Ruth the Moabitess said, he, he said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast to my young men until they have ended all my harvest. So he invited her to come back. Yeah. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, here in a minute, we're going to see Ruth, I mean, Naomi is a little bit of a matchmaker. 
She's a little bit of a matchmaker. She sees that Ruth has caught in the favor of Boaz. And Ruth knows, or Naomi knows, that Boaz is within the line of possibilities. He's within that line of possibilities. He sees um, that, that Ruth has favor with him. And so she tells, she tells Ruth, she says, Ruth, you stay in his field. You keep, you make sure that he know, you know, you stay there. You, you stay in his field. Um, she's, she's, she's getting ready to do a little matchmaking here. She's getting ready to do a little matchmaking here. Why? Because she's looking out for her daughter. She, she's taking, Naomi has taken Ruth under her wing as her own personal daughter. And, and, and Naomi knows that she's elderly and that she is so, and, and that, Ruth has committed herself to her, and so now Naomi has an, feels an obligation to make sure to make sure that Ruth is well cared for. This is a type and shadow of a pastor. That just hit my spirit. This is a type and shadow of a pastor. A pastor is going to help make sure, get you in the right field, get you in the right place, get you in the right position with God so that God can take care of you. All right, chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Now she's not she's not a sneaky matchmaker. She flat said, she flat told she Naomi flat told Ruth, Ruth. I'm fixing to set you up. I'm going to find you a place. <laughs> I'm getting you a place. Yep. You've been good to me. You've taken care of me. Now I'm going to take care of you. Look out. I'm making a way for you. All right. Behold, he, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. So he's working. He's working. Yep. Boaz is out there working the, the, the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee. And get thee down to the floor. So, he, so she says, "Hey, get dressed up, get your good stuff on, and, and go down there. Get get the sweat off, get the stink off, put on some perfume, put on put on some clean clothes, and but, go see them. <laughs> but make not, but make not thyself known unto the man until he hath done eating and drinking. So don't don't, don't go, bother him. Don't bother him. Don't go be a pest. Just kind of hang back." And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And I have no idea what that means. It's a, so, so in this culture, you know, your feet are your livelihood. This is, this is a culture that, you know, you got to walk everywhere. You got to take care of everything. I mean, if you don't have good feet, you're not, get, you're not making a living. And so, remember, one of the things that Jesus did is he washed the feet of his disciples. And that was a way of blessing them. And so, basically, what Naomi said is basically go down and show him, the, show him respect, show him honor, show him tender love. Not sexual love. That's not what she's talking about. He basically just said, go show that you're willing to take care of even the feet. How much do you know? They didn't wear closed shoes like we wear. Their feet were dusty. Their feet were dirty. He was in the thrashing floor, which means that he's in there with all the wheat, and he's sifting out all this stuff. At the end of the day, his feet were probably, um, probably had, like, I don't know about you. I don't know if you know this or not, but wheat has hair. Wheat has little hairs on it. 
And I don't know if you know this about hair or not, but you can get a a uh, a, wheat, a hair splinter. You can get a piece of hair in your like groomers and hairdressers experience this. And a hair splinter is actually very painful. It's actually very painful because you can't see it. You don't know it's there. So here he is. He's in the threshing floor, which is where they separate the wheat from the chaff, the wheat from the from the plant itself and from the hair itself. So he's in there in, in basically sandals, and he's dealing with this. So his feet are going to be dirty. They're going to be injured. They're going to be tired. They're going to be worn out. And and Naomi goes down, and, she, and, and uh, Naomi tells Ruth, he's, she says, Ruth, go down there. And once he's eat, once he's done working, once he's eaten, once he's resting, then go ahead and and uncover his feet. In other words, show him some compassion. Probably what probably what Ruth did is Ruth may have even like washed his feet, cleaned them up, took care of him a little bit, showed him a little bit of compassion. That's what he, that's what she's talking about. All right. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass... At so I have a little note in the margin of my Bible where it says in verse 4, uncover his feet. The margin actually says, lift up thy clothes that are on. In other words... In other words, basically show that you're available, not you're going to lay down and have sex. Just show that you are willing to be in a relationship. Okay. That's, that's kind of what, and again, if you're showing somebody compassion, that's what you're doing. All right. So verse, I guess. We'll verse 8. Verse okay. Eight. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Because remember, she's clean and dressed up now. And so, he's startled so, that and there's he's a woman used there. to her sweating in the field, so he probably, probably doesn't look the same at all. He's startled. And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread, therefore, thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou shouldest not or show, followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Okay, again, this is not when he says, um, when it says, "Who art thou?" And Ruth said, "I am thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaiden, for thou art near a kinsman." This is not. This is not. A pornographic scene like what you're talking about, what we see in today. This is culture. This is culture. This is how this is how they talked. This is how they relayed information. And basically what she was saying is I am willing, because you are a kinsman, because you are related to my husband's family, I am willing to be your wife. Now, I am willing to be available to you. And look at what Boaz says. Boaz doesn't just jump on there and take care of business. He actually blesses her and talks to her. Yeah. Now remember, he's he's an older man. He's not he because he's rich and he's well to do and he's got you know right. he, he's was, an older man and he's and and 
what what she's saying by 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 put your skirt over me is is claim me as right. as yours. Right. Uh, that's what the culture in the culture it meant. So and he said and he says well uh, you you're showing me kindness by by saying hey I, you want to be mine. That's right. And because I'm an older man, but and you are a young woman and you and you have not gone after the young men. Right. Okay. So that's what he's so that's what he's saying there. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So she's proven herself to be a woman of virtue. In other words, she's proven herself not to be a harlot. She, when, when, when they're having this conversation, she's not presenting herself as a harlot or a prostitute. She's presenting herself. This is basically a marriage proposal. Mm -hmm. That's really what this is, is a marriage proposal. Yep. Exactly. It's like an engagement. It's like an engagement. This is not, I know when we read it with our thinking today that this sounds very sexual, but this is not sexual at all. This is, this is the custom of how uh, marriage proposals were done. Mm -hmm. This is what this was. All right. This is not sexual in any way. Verse 12. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. How be it? There is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the part, the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, which means he'd take her as his wife. That's right. As the Lord liveth, lie down until morning. And she lay at his, so as the Lord liveth, he was basically pledging that he was going to follow through with this and find out. He said, he, he said I, I don't qualify. The only way I qualify to be your husband is if the next one in line passes. If the next one, if the next one in line passes, then I'll accept the proposal. But if the next one in line says, no, no, I want to marry you, then you need to marry him. He was being very honorable. They were being very honorable to each other. And she lay at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one could know another. In other words, it was still dark. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Yep. Apparently she that actually, was not a good place for she, her to be. She, because, because of reputation. It's because of reputation, and here's the deal. Girls, ladies don't need to be alone. Notice it says that she left before one could know, before one could be intimate. He said, just lay down at my feet, and she laid down for a few minutes, but then she got up and said, this isn't appropriate. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Because he didn't want to He didn't want to just send her out in tears. He wanted her to know, I'm okay with you, but I'm going to do what's right. And she stepped up and said, well, I'm glad you're going to do what's right, but we're going to do what's right right now. And I'm going to leave before anybody gets to talking about me being a harlot or you being a harlot. Right. All right. Also, he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured, so she had a veil, and, and as part so, of the proposal, dress. and when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. So this is a lot of food. Yes, this is a lot. This is a lot. Basically, she took her veil, and he filled it up with a lot of food for her. And He's when she care of her, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "Who art thou, my daughter?" 
And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty up unto thy mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. So, For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. So when, that, when, when Ruth returned home to Naomi and Naomi said, Who are you? She was... Ruth did not, Naomi did not have a moment of... of Basically, uh, she was asking, are you now his? Right, right. Do you now belong to him? Uh, because once and again, once the proposal was done, you were considered married. married without the benefits of marriage. You know, that basically, once you were... Once, once, you you, were, once you were proposed, you were basically married. They, they, they saw it as married, so she wanted to know. Are, are you are you, are you pledged? Are you married or not? That's what she was asking. And so uh, Ruth begins to explain everything to Na- to Naomi, and Naomi goes, "This man's a righteous man. This man's a right man. He's not going to rest till he takes care of the business. So now you sit and you wait. You sit and wait. You know what? Us women can learn to sit and wait patiently a little better than we do. And of course, the six measures of barley was. Probably, I mean, I don't know how much that was worth, but it was it was showing the, his promise that he was right. going to take care of this. Right. All right. Last chapter. We can do this. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, so the one that was closer, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one. Basically, he was saying, Hey, come here. Yeah. Turn aside. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And so why did he take ten men in the city? Because Witness. he wanted witnesses that he did everything appropriately. Yep. And, it, and that's why he got elders, because elders right. are the leaders. Right. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elamech's. So, so the, here we find out that she did have some land. Yeah. And I thought to advertise the saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. So, so here... He even says, look, he said, I knew, I knew that Elimelech was dead. I knew that the land was available. I considered saying, y'all need to handle this. Like, like he said, basically what he was saying is, I'm not a perfect man. I, I, I consider wrong things. But in this situation, I want to be 100% honest. I want to be 100% upright. I want to be 100% pure with everybody. And now here's the deal. You have a right because you're the next in line, you have a right to that property because when you marry Naomi, you get the property. Yes. So you have a right to the property. You have a right to Naomi. You have a right to Ruth. You have a right to all this. If you're going to take it, take it. But if you're not going to take it, then he will. Then he will. And the, and the man, said, man said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. 
So he says, not only do you got to take Naomi, but you got to take Ruth, too. That's right. You got to take, if you're taking the land, you got to take Naomi and Ruth. So he's letting, he's letting this guy know, listen, Boaz is working this. Boaz has a heart for Ruth. Boaz says, he says, okay, if you're going to take it, you're going to take it. But by the way, uh, if you want the land, you get the two women also. Yeah, you have to take the Moabitess, which And one of them's a Moabite. Yeah. That's right. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. In other words, he can't take a Moabitess into his family. That's right. Why, I'm not sure, but that's, he basically, what, that's the way they thought back then. Basically, he said, my family's not going to handle me taking in a Moabite woman. My family's not going to handle that. All right. That's what he said. So he says, and lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself. He says, so you take it, because I'm not going to. That's right. For I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner of the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to conform all things, or notice, confirm all things. Notice what it says. It says, now this was the manner in the former time of Israel. In other words, this is the way things were done in Israel at a prior time, at this time in history, this is how things are done. This is not how things are done currently. In other words, culture changes. Yep. These were cultural events. So they're explaining what's going to come next, actually. Yep. It says, for to confirm all things. And man, so, so in order to, to confirm that they were, they were being up front with each other and the dealing was done, you know, like nowadays we'd shake hands, right? Well, back then it says... Uh, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. So back then, they'd take off their shoe and give it to the other guy. Here's my shoe. It's kind of strange, but all right. That's the way they handled it. Well, shoes were a good commodity. Yeah. Therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Chileon's, and Malion's, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malion, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. So basically, Boaz said, I'm taking the place of Malon. He said, I'm taking his place so that his family line can go on, so that his lineage can go on, so that his inheritance can go on. So Boaz is not taking on uh, Naomi and Ruth and the property for his benefit. He's taking it on for the benefit of his kinsmen. Yep. And he's saying that any, and basically he's also saying that any, any children that come from this will inherit this land. That's right. All right. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. God always does things by, by patterns. And being famous then made, meant to be well regarded. Right. Um, and, and God did patterns. So just like the pattern of Rachel and Leah, 
Naomi and Ruth are following a similar pattern in that God is providing through a servant of, of the Israelites. And let thy house... Oh, God. And verse 12. And let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Now, so here's the healing we were talking about. Here's She'd the healing. Been more than 10 years married and no children, and then, boom, immediately she gets pregnant. But it was, we say, boom, as soon as she gets married, she, Boaz, boom, she gets pregnant. Well, then it, wasn't, it, it was the man's problem, not her problem. Well, we don't know that. It says that God gave her conception. But here's what we do know. We do know that um, Ruth committed herself to God. We know that Ruth became a doer of the word. We know that Ruth proved herself faithful. Ruth proved herself trustworthy. Ruth proved herself honorable in, in, by following the law of God. And by coming in covenant with God, God healed her. No, neither Boaz, Ruth, or Naomi asked for God to heal. There was no prayer for healing. One way that you can obtain healing is to simply be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a pack, healing's a package deal. When God saved you, God healed you. So if you, as you walk out your salvation, as you work your salvation out, you also work out your healing and your health. Amen. As you get sin out of your life, the right to sickness, the right that Satan has to put sickness and disease on you is removed from you. Therefore, if he has to take the sickness from you because you're being a servant of God, well, if sickness leaves, guess what comes? Healing. Healing. So here, Ruth got healed simply by receiving her, by, by, by presenting herself as in, by receiving God of Israel. And by becoming a doer of the word, she obtained healing. Yep. Now, let's read just a little bit more to find out exactly how awesome God was to her right. out of her commitment. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, in other words, a child, that his name may be famous in Israel, or well regarded in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. In other words, when he grows up, he's going to take care of you. For thy daughter-in-law, which... Well, and she considered herself dead, and now oh, he's we were brought talking life. about Naomi. I was thinking it was Ruth. Right. Anyways. Right. Naomi, listen, Naomi considered herself dead. She considered her, her bloodline to end. She considered all things to be ruined at this point. And, and this, is in, this is incredible. Ruth doesn't just say, well, this is my child, and this is what I got. Ruth said, no, I obtained this child because of you, Naomi, because of who you are, because of who you taught me to be, because of what you put in me, because of how you taught me to follow your God. This child has come into my life, and she does something amazing with her mother-in-law. All right, so, and he shall, restore, shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, 
and became nurse unto it. Now, that doesn't mean that Naomi was, was giving the child suckling. That just simply means that Naomi became the primary caregiver to this child. In other words, Ruth said, you know what? You've done so good with me. You've lost both of your sons. Ruth recognized that, that Naomi only had a, a portion of life left. And she said, you know what? While you're here, this is your son. This isn't just your grandson. This is your son. She gave Naomi parental rights, so to speak, in this. Now, she was still there. She was still around. Ruth was. But basically, she honored Naomi because she said, Naomi, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have any of this. So she recognized that. She honored that. And that brought life. And here's the other thing. If you will keep, if, if older people will keep young people around them, it will keep them young and healthy. We have proven it out. Yep. We have proven it out. If older people will stay around younger people, they will stay much healthier and, and live much longer. All right, let's go on. We are. Verse 17. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. Now, this is Ruth's son, but she's given it to Naomi. There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse. And the father of David. That's King David. That's King David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. And Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Aminadab. And Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Solomon. And Solomon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. So here... A Moabite woman, because she, because she gave her life to the God of Israel, became the grandmother of David. A Moabite woman, a pagan worshiper, went from worshiping pagan gods to worshiping the God of Israel to honoring and walking in the laws of the Israelites and became the grandmother of David. Of David. How cool is that? So, and again, this is healing school. How did, how did Ruth become healed? Ruth became healed because she received Jehovah uh, as, her, as her Lord, as her God, as her, as her king, and she lived honorably toward him, and by simply being a doer of the word and walking as God commanded her to walk, healing became hers. She didn't have to plead for it. She didn't have to beg for it. She didn't have to have hands laid on her for it. She didn't have to get into a prayer closet and beg and plead and rob Peter and, and kill Stephen and, and, you know, all of that. All she had to do was walk according to the word and healing came to her body. Amen. Healing came. Um, so like I said, we do try to do two or three uh, a night, but I just really felt like this one really needed a lot of explanation uh, for you to see uh, the fullness of how this healing came. Well, praise God. Glory to God. Uh, this is what we're going to do with tithes and offerings. Um, we're just going to put them in the back. And uh, you can drop them in as you go. Um, 
there won't be service Wednesday night because several of us are going to be in Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, excuse me, Pigeon Forge. He, he, he changed, they changed it on us this year. Uh, we've seen the facility. The facility is gorgeous. Uh, if you want to give online, the instructions are on the screen both ways. Um, you're welcome to do that, but we're going to just bless and, and uh, send you out. We're going to miss you this week. If you need us, do not hesitate to call or text. Amen. You want to bless the offering? Yes. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for teaching us and guiding us and leading us to be closer to you and, and to seeing how, how to live the way you would have us to live. Lord, we want to see your work done on earth as it is in heaven. So we give into your kingdom. We give uh, joyously and we give generously because you gave so much more to us. And we just thank you for that. And we, and we give with a grateful heart. We give, and we ask that you bless this offering, that it go further than we could ever ask, hope, or think towards the doing of your word. And that you, in return, that you bless us, that we might become a bigger blessing to you and your kingdom. Lord, we just love you and we thank you. Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. You cannot come to steal, kill, and destroy, and, and you cannot take the words that have been sowed in our hearts. It will grow in our hearts and, 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 and bear fruit in our lives and the lives of those we come in contact with. So leave in the name of Jesus and leave us be. Thank you, Father. Father, just you just brought it to my spirit. You just brought it right up. And so, Father, I ask that you bless Brooke with a special with a special blessing because I know that she's got a heavy workload. I know she she needs to be working, but she took correction this morning and and she said that's it. I'm gonna be here. I'm putting God first. And so, Father, we just ask that things go supernaturally that things go very smoothly for her for work. Father, the reason she was working is because she's going to spend all week with you. Multiply and so, her work, Lord. So, Father, just, just, oh, Father, just bless Multiply her. Multiply the work bless of her, her hands. Bless her, bless her, bless her, bless her, Father God. For, Father, we so plainly see her heart. And so, Father, we thank you for it. And I just, I just thank you, Father God that you just bless her abundantly above all that she could ask or thank, Father God, that doors of opportunity come to her, that finances come to her, that an increase comes to her household, Father God. And, Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. amen.